0: This podcast is brought to you in association with Cloud Banking.
1: If you take India as a country, very large market, but also underpenetrated, a huge potential for growth across products, across credit, across investments, across insurance, so everything. Now, it is not a market that banks are interested in or would find it profitable to across every strata of society and every consumer and good. And finance is a product that as economies become bigger and wealthier, it is a product that every person uses.
0: Welcome to the GFF23 Show. This podcast brings you a taste of the Global Fintech Fest organized by the Fintech Convergence Council, Payments Council of India and National Payments Corporations of India happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September, 2023. Over the past three years, GFF has grown to become the largest fintech summit globally, demonstrating the pivotal role of fintech and driving sustainable global advancement by showcasing a 360-degree view of its transformative potential. Today, we have Shinjani Kumar, co-founder of Salt, a neobank started by women for women. Having a virtual sit down with Nidhi Biani Jain, Director of Fintech Regulatory at PW Co LLP. Nidhi and Shinjani get into the nitty gritties of what it takes to start and sustain a neobank in today's financial ecosystem and how it can coexist with traditional banks. Coopers is the knowledge partner for this episode.
2: Hi, Shinjani. We are here today to record a podcast on a topic which concerns digital banks or neobanks. And uh, who better than uh, asking you and talking to you about it? Because you yourself have been a banking veteran of sorts. And uh, we worked in a full blown ba- foreign bank and then eventually did a differentiated bank and uh, then moved on to have your own venture, which is more like a neo banking kind of thing. And uh, how neo banks have evolved in the last few years, the way they've bridged the gap between the traditional bank offerings and uh, how the customers hope the services to be rendered to them. While they've been banking on the innovation at the forefront, they're not still able to match up with the capital base or the customer base of a traditional bank. And yet they're making so much noise in the market. There's a lot of growth in terms of the number of new banks, the kind of customers that they're catering to, primarily retail individuals who are very tech savvy, who like to have financial services at the fingertips through mobile operations. First of all, I want to hear your journey as to what you've seen, how banking has evolved And now that whole this digital space related banking, how do you think it has been for India in terms of banking? So first of all,
1: thank you, Nidhi, for talking to me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Let me tell you, uh, if you want to understand what I have seen in terms of the change in banking in my lifetime. So like you know, and many people know, I started my career from RBI and it was in 1990 that I started and that was my Entry into finance because I'd come from a background in English literature and journalism and nothing had prepared me for what I was doing. But among other things, one of the fun things I remember is getting paid my salary in cash. So actually on the salary day, everybody, officers, staff, everyone would get envelopes with brand new notes because it was RBI, right? So we had new notes. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that made me extremely popular with my mother-in-law was that I could give her two rupee and five rupee notes. And that's where it started. And where we are today is pretty much most of the time when I'm leaving my home to, to travel, I sometimes have not even enough money that if my paytm for whatever reason doesn't work, I'm kind of stranded. It has happened to me many times. So So my husband has developed this habit of just putting some cash into my bag when I'm leaving. I think we've really come a very long way. And that has not just been the cause and effect of cash being converted into digital, but a whole range of things that have happened inside financial services, as well as outside financial services, because the consumer behavior is not just set by what we do in financial services, but by what the consumer is doing in their day-to-day life. Whether it is shopping, whether it is playing, whether it is entertainment. And I think because everything else has been, uh, has changed so much for the consumer, it is very, very intuitive to understand that finance will also change. In fact, I'll go one step further and say that finance will and needs to change more than other aspects of life because money is so inherent and embedded into everything that we do. So I now have a fintech. And we are building finance for women. And the reason we call ourselves salt is because we want money to be like salt in your food. It's essential, but it should not be visible. And therefore, that's how money will eventually be for everyone. Essential, but invisible. No one really likes to go to their bank. Literally, if there is no bank in your life physically, nobody's really going to miss it. Unlike a restaurant or even a multiplex. So yeah, we can start from there and I can...
2: Leave my narrative into more of your questions. Sure. So, Shinjini, when you say that you don't want to go to a bank, but in terms of RBI expectations, you know how banking has to be. They've always insisted on having branches, and especially in some rural areas, the insistence on minimum number of branches that need to be maintained. Do you think that has been the cause for traditional banks to be focusing more on their physical setup and not as much on the digital, which is why the whole emergence of the neo banks?
1: It's slightly the other way around, Nidhi. So banks, because they emerged at a time when branches were the mode of outreach and customer engagement platforms, and branches still continue to be important for sales for banks and for problem resolution, because banking technology has evolved over a period of time, and it has has tried to keep pace with that fast evolving uh, changes in everything. And therefore, there are still drop-offs that happen in the customer's journey and branches then become a place for query resolution and interface to kind of build that trust in the customer and to restore that trust in the customer that if something goes wrong, I always have somebody to go and talk to. And it's not that RBI has ever gone ahead and said you must have physical branches, They have what they have said is that of the branches that you have, you have a certain obligation to maintain a ratio of branches in urban areas, rural areas. And that's because obviously you can't be neglecting one type of customer who actually needs you more because they might probably have more need for a physical interface. So the fact is that banking is a high trust business. It is a business where if something even for 10 minutes, if your money leaves your account and doesn't reach the account of the other person, you actually have anxiety. You actually want to understand whether it has reached or not reached. So you do want to continue to have that trusted relationship that you have with your customer, like good old days where a customer wrote a check and another person accepted that check with a full implicit belief that, that money would leave one person's account and would reach another person's account. And compare that today to when you pay to a taxi driver and the money doesn't reach instantly. And then you know instantly that it hasn't gone through, it has failed, etc. So the nature of branch versus digital relationship will keep changing as processes keep getting better and smoother. So today, if you see when a credit card application is made Still, a time a customer's credit card is activated for different types of transactions, it has multiple levels of that journey and the customer can have a problem at any step in the journey. And so your trust can break. But the way the processes are improving fast because of the technologies and you can see the future with things like blockchain and other more robust technologies that can track better ensure better deliveries, you will start to see less and less need for that trust building exercise through the branches. So branches can be a center for, you know, like when I was in Paytm and we used to think about the bank, we used to think about a branch more as a place for a customer to walk in when they wanted to either, you know, pay you a compliment or to really have a problem. But other than that, people should have no reason to come through the branch because they shouldn't have to come for transactions, for filling forms, for doing KYCs and things like that. So the function of branches will keep changing and evolving, if at all, people will have branches. Otherwise, it's like the Best Buy or whatever it used to be in the US when we went as students. We used to have these massive electronic shops and now there are no electronic shops at all. But if you still go, you can sometimes go to these old camera stores and or bookstores. Like there's no Barnes and Nobles, but you can go to like a fancy vintage bookstore that has first edition books and so the nature of these outlets and branding exercise branches are also branding exercise right they make people around you realize that that this is the brand and so i think that the nature of it will keep changing over a period of time
2: okay so do you think that either it's going to have traditional banks becoming while continuing to be physical but expand considerably on a digital side or do you think it will be these new banks, fintechs, which will eventually become, which are likely to become banks? Or do you think both of them will work together in tandem, like how it is happening now, so as to be able to cater to the customers? Like in the long run, how do you see this panning out? So I don't see
1: this as a uh, let's hold hands and walk together type of a situation, because customer ownership is a very important exercise when it comes to high trust products like banking. So this notion that we have right now and that fintechs are somehow there to please clients of banks and service them is is probably a temporary phase. It's a good tactical measure because it works for both. Nobody can substitute the type of operational robustness and knowledge and risk management ability that banks have created because it has been done over a few generations of dealing with people. So that's really, really not something which a startup can hope to have when they start in addition to capital and depth of capital, et cetera. So therefore it works for both to partner because obviously banks' speed is slower when it comes to technology. So I can understand partnerships and they will be there for some time. But in the long run, I think everybody wants to own their customer. And the moment you develop the ability to own your customer, to service your customer, To communicate directly with your customer, you do want, both parties want to own their customer. But the beautiful thing is that the nature of the two entities is such that they will probably have enough to coexist and in that sense work together in the market. But I'll give you an example. If you take India as a country, very large market, but also underpenetrated a huge potential for growth across products, across credit, across investments, across insurance, so everything. Now, it is not a market that banks are interested in or would find it profitable to cut across every strata of society and every consumer and good. And finance is a product that, as economies become bigger and wealthier, it is a product that every person uses. So it's in that sense, it's like really massive. But for banks, their capital deployment strategies of where they can optimize their profitability, because they are entities that are held by shareholders that have, a, that have to answer to a certain type of shareholder and maintain a certain type of governance standards. So what is worthwhile for a bank to do is very different from what is worthwhile for a fintech to do. So even if I take the example of salt, while we are working with money that is coming from a vc or from angel investors or from our own resources we are not hesitating to say we want to serve women because that's the mission that we want to take forward but for a bank sometimes to be able to say that's what i'll do is harder because there is so much opportunity for them to do things and then it doesn't make sense for them sometimes to just ingrain themselves into certain specific type of consumer segments so because the consumer segment is so large and varied and different i don't think that banks and fintechs will compete with each other and collapse on each other's faces they will actually work together but not in the way that we, they're working together today so today when we say banks and fintechs are working together it is usually meant that the bank will be the somehow the boss and the fintech will somehow be the service provider that will change it will become in the nature of more of a partnership where customer is very clear in their mind about who they are dealing with what service they're availing who is there where their risk management sits etc and that is how it will evolve in my view.
0: Before we go on with the episode, a quick word from our sponsors. In the heart of the banking world, where every second counts and efficiency is paramount, a revelation, a cloud solution Indian banking can rely upon. Cloud banking, process loans in less than 10 minutes with seamless integration, automation at its finest, and workflows that adapt to your needs step into the future elevate your banks lending operations with cloud banking now back to the episode
2: so there has been a lot of buzz around having a digital banking license in place you know niti ayog had come up with a recommendation like that And then of course, there's a lot of lobbying around in terms of asking for a digital banking status for the neo banks. Do you think that is likely or that should happen or you think it should continue the way it is right now? And just as you mentioned, only the dynamics change in terms of who dictates what and they work at par and the customer realizes that who he's dealing with. Do you think it should continue that way or something like a digital bank should be considered for India? India has
1: the space for and need for many, many more banks of every type. So we have artificially controlled supply of banking services because we have somehow hoped and prayed that our banks will expand and do priority sector also and will find BCs to reach every... And we are very proud to say that our banks are everywhere and they do everything, but literally... You need more entities to create better, healthier competition and come up with products and services and solutions that are more suited to every type of client. So, I definitely believe that, and I don't have deep familiarity with the digital banking license and what happened to it because, at different points of time, when the government says digital bank, it has meant different things sometimes. Sometimes they just say that. You know, digital banks seem like something that a public sector banks branch will become or something. So I don't want to get into that. But what I do want to say is that at a macro level, this country needs more banks, more banking services. It's a growing economy, and it needs very differentiated type of services to be provided. So the same model cannot be fitted onto everybody. And to that extent, the more licenses are given and the more flexibility is granted within that overall overarching framework of risk management and capital adequacy and governance, the better it is for the system. And it is needed. I mean, At some stage, it will happen because when you don't, When you don't allow it to grow properly, then something else comes in its place. And then that something else finds its own way and does things in its own way. So I think even regulators have realized, and if you see that they also talk about giving, you know, having more regulated entities, having more licensed entities, having more NBFCs. So the nature of those licenses might change and because it's kind of a dynamic process, but I don't think that it will be that FinTechs can remain some sort of a, amorphous, quasi-regulated entities and banks will continue to be the big daddy guardians of fintech somehow. That, I don't think that's that.
2: Okay. And when you say that there is more space for digital for the banks to be in India, do you think that it should continue the way the banking has been done, like a full-blown bank with everything summed up or subsumed within the banking license, so ability to offer all the possible services? Or do you think the approach that RBI had taken with Payments Bank, making it a restricted bank of sorts, does it help like that? Or do you think in the long run, we should continue to look at only full-fledged banking licenses?
1: I think in every aspect of life, uh, the world has become very modular. So you start playing a game, you first do something which is for free, then you buy 30 different things at 30 different points of time and you put something together. I think in many ways, the world has become a place where customers sort of pulls what they want and not necessarily take the entire thing, service that you throw at them. In the same way, I think in banking, it becomes very hard when you have hard-coded criteria for a certain type of entity because and we saw that struggle with payments banks that happened that got the licenses we've seen that struggle with small finance banks we have seen that struggle with some certain types of nbfc's because you create these artificial sort of boundaries within which innovation or flexibility becomes sometimes a casualty but not everybody is capable of putting the type of capital and governance on the table that is required to be a large bank. So I, I definitely think that it should be a modular system where you can choose to do what you want to do, but you should have that flexibility within that framework to be able to, to keep adding your capital and to keep adding standards of governance as you get bigger. But that path to get bigger and to get to that point is what needs to be much more clear rather than saying, okay, I'm a payments bank today, but I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. So then how do you plan your business, et cetera? So I feel like that if we had had more success with small finance banks or payments banks so far, then we would have already seen that path and how it is going to evolve. But what has happened on the other hand is that we don't have that. And on the other hand, we have a very large fintech ecosystem where we have seen a few things happen that have sort of gone back and forth and frontwards and backwards. So it is something which requires a bit more sort of clarity of path. I feel like the path should be defined. I don't think that we should say that large banks won't exist or small banks won't exist, but people will be large or small because they cater to a certain type of client and because they want to put a certain type of capital on the table and not because of a license category only is the point I'm making.
2: And just one last question, Shanjani, you know, you've been operating a fintech and how do you see your uh, eventual growth? What do you see? Are the hurdles or what do you think challenges are there? And, you know, what kind of opportunities? Anything that is a closing remark from a fintech licensing, fintech bank, whatever uh, you would think is the right way.
1: Yeah, so you do realize, so the moment you start operating in financial services, you do realize that banks are a very strong and solid platform for providing a more wholesome, integrated customer service. So that platform, the value of that license, as far as your relationship and your brand building and your trust building with the consumer is concerned is huge. So I think that is where the aspiration to become a bank or what is called a new bank comes from. But obviously, as I said, if you are born to be that, then you need to have a very different level of championship, etc., which is the part of the problem in giving bank licenses as well. And therefore, I think it is a very good marriage of ambitions. If startups start with the idea of saying, these are the things that we will do. And if we do these things well, and if we find, if we build this kind of trust and this kind of governance and this kind of capital and this kind of client base, then I know that with this kind of a framework in this many years or with these milestones i will be able to go to rbi and get a license or something like that or go to sebi or whatever license you're looking for but a platform that makes it easy for me to do what i do but at scale without causing massive risk to us or to the system in the same way the regulators need to have that outlook to say yes hundreds of thousands of people will come in many of them will be there not there but the ones who are able to reach these milestones can have this path to eventually become these type of entities. That flow is what I'm very focused on. And I feel like that flow is very important for an economy or a financial system but to continue to be robust and healthy. Otherwise, there's this whole thing about my, what are my growth metrics today as a FinTech. As a FinTech, my growth metric today is it used to be until VC money was available, like flushing in the system, that you need like millions of customers. Then millions of customers bring a certain type of risk. Then you said product innovation. Then product innovation brought a different type of risk. So I feel like all of those things are part of the journey. For my own fintech, for example, what are we trying to do? We are trying to get more women into the ecosystem of buying financial products because they don't. Because across products, across credit insurance and investing, the number of women who are participating is very low we want to build for them well if we want to build for them and when we become successful with a certain number of people to scale them if bank seems to be the best model I should have the ability to go and have that conversation and say bank seems to be the best model this is here's a good thing and here's what we want to achieve and then let's go and make it big so and same applies to other people who are doing other different things so I just think that that path is something that should be and it will be, and I'm not saying it's it doesn't exist already, it does, but it's not like it It will get better with more people doing it, it'll get better. To answer your question briefly, is Neobank a real aspiration or ambition for fintechs? Yes, it is.
2: Okay. Sure. And Shinti, just one more point when you're saying that you're focusing on the women and each neobank or each new fintech is focusing on a particular segment, especially in the neobanking segment, there are a particular set of customers that each of them target, whether it is youth or minors. For certain fintechs, it's, that's the priority. Do you think that's the right way uh, to pick up a particular segment, like the approach in terms of the strategy? It's good for now and then eventually scale up? I mean, why
1: not? Because you have to start somewhere and you may be good with a certain, like we are three women founders, so we think we are good with understanding the psychology of women. In a similar way, different people may have different understanding, insight into different types of consumers. So, consumer is a good starting point always to start building something. But sometimes it can also be product, right? It can also be a disruptive product that you think will change. So, for example, there are many products in banking that need a sort of disruption or innovation. But you find, at least that's what we've found here, that product innovation can get harder because you build something and then a regulator comes and says, this is not uh, correct. So that has been a hard path. But both the paths are possible. We took the client path because that was our mission. That was the reason why we built this company. So for us, it was not a very difficult choice. And then within the, then we said, okay, this is the client segment. Which product works for this client segment is where we will go. And then that was our starting point. Somebody can start with the product and say, oh, I have this product. Which client works for this product? Let me go and find those clients. So both those routes can be taken. Sure.
2: So I think that is it Shinjani thank you so much and it's been a complete pleasure talking to you. It's always been like that and this has been a very good discussion, very very deep insights in terms of both practical and regulatory aspects. You always managed to get both the sides of it and it's been really amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much Nidhi.
0: We want to take this opportunity to thank Nidhi Biyani Jain, Director of FinTech Regulatory at PWN Co LLP and Shinjini Kumar, co-founder of SALT, for taking time off their schedule to bring you this episode. The Global FinTech Fest, global collaboration for a responsible financial ecosystem. Inclusive, resilient, sustainable. Happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September, 2023. The Global FinTech Fest 23 is brought to you by the National Payments Corporations of India, the Payments Council of India, and the Fintech Convergence Council. For more details about GFF23, visit globalfintechfest.com. To listen to previous episodes of the GFF23 show, visit ubersaga.com. We also want to thank the team at Ubersaga, the official podcast partner for GFF23. Post-production and sound design by Subhash. Editing, scripting, and voiceover by Abe.